Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm so glad that you joined us because this is our third anniversary of the Back to Jerusalem podcast. We are coming to you live on delay from somewhere in my backyard in China. And I'm so excited to be doing this podcast. I'm sitting here doing it with a cup of the Back to Jerusalem tea. If you haven't done the Back to Jerusalem tea, it will give you energy out the wazoo, I think, because I'm super hyped and I've just started at 6 o'clock in the morning with the Back to Jerusalem tea. I, one of my favorite ones, the one that I'm actually drinking uh, right now, is our Storehouse Apricot. It's an organic oolong tea from China. It's like these leaves that are in a bag and the bag it just... Yeah, it feels Chinese, even though it's got like this apricot taste. So it brings a little bit of that Western taste flavor to this Chinese tea, and I love it. It's great. If you haven't ever purchased the Back to Jerusalem tea before, I would highly advise you to at least looking look at it because having this tea – for the Back to Jerusalem Bible studies or the prayer guide. So if you're going through the North Korean prayer guide, the 30-day Back to Jerusalem prayer guide, or any of the other prayer guides that we have, like the one that we just did not too long ago for Tibet, this is a great idea. Hello, you're going to be doing a Bible study about China? How about having some Chinese tea? Uh, and then knowing that the tea that you're purchasing goes to support Back to Jerusalem. It doesn't get better than that. I'm in China right now, extremely excited that we have so many individuals from around the world that continue for reasons that I cannot explain to join us for our Back to Jerusalem podcast. Here's the thing. This is what I love about being together with the Chinese. Right now, there are so many tools at our disposal to reach people from all around the world. Get this. Just last week, we had our Back to Jerusalem Hackers Conference. And at the Hackers Conference, we started off with an icebreaker that I like to call the, the Back to Jerusalem Blitz. We did a Back to Jerusalem Blitz. It's something that I made up. Where we had hackers from all over the world that came in, computer gurus, really. I mean, we, we, weren't, we weren't breaking into bank accounts. So when you hear about the word hackers, let me assure you, we were not getting together with people in a room and, and trying to hack into bank accounts or government databases or 
trying to steal your identity with you know some big conference on how to conduct identity theft instead we were focused on how to break into closed countries that's what hacking is breaking into closed systems we brought computer gurus from around the world that are into coding um, program writing uh, individuals that um, are are able to create databases that are game designers um, those that have experience with doing a lot of these different things in the secular world, we brought them together in one room and started to focus on how to hack into closed countries, bringing the gospel to people through every resource at our fingertips. And this podcast is one of those ways that we are able to capitalize on really cheap technology. So what we did for the Back to Jerusalem Blitz is we had everybody break down into teams of five or more. And then from there, uh, each team would spend about an hour or more uh, focusing on how to reach people in closed countries at that very moment. So we didn't start off like just talking about it in theory. Before the very first introduction took place, we had the teams break up and then because it was morning in America, I knew that it was afternoon in Europe and in the Middle East and it was evening in Asia. So what we did is we we broke out a map of the 1040 window and then we started to identify nations in that 1040 window. And as an icebreaker, as the very first task of the hackers conference was find people in the 1040 window and preach the gospel to them. Every contact that you make, you get a point. Every dialogue that you create, you get a point for every sentence of that dialogue where uh, individuals are writing back to you. We kept a scoreboard. If you are able to share the gospel with somebody, you get 100 points. Somebody said, hey, what if we call? Well, if you call, you get another 100 points because that starts an ongoing dialogue where you have to talk back and forth to one another that is in the 1040 window. Do you know how easy that was? We literally had people connecting with individuals in Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran. We had, we had phone conversations taking place with individuals that – and these weren't from connections. Nobody in our group had prior connections in places like Iran. They started just going through the phone book looking for people on the internet that run tour agencies and just started to talk with them, being passed around to different individuals in the office of the tour agency, and then sharing the gospel. So if you got to talk to somebody on the phone, that's 100 points. If you were able to share the gospel, that was 100 points. And if you lead somebody to Christ, it's game over. And so we had five teams competing with one another on trying to build up an, a, a, enough points to win in the first hour of our Back to Jerusalem uh, Hackers Conference. That was the Back to Jerusalem Blitz icebreaker. It's never been done before. I was super excited that we were able to do it again or that we were able to do it at, at all. I was super excited that we were able to do this um, this Back to Jerusalem uh, hackers conference and started off with this brand new idea of the breaking the ice, the back to Jerusalem blitz. And I'm, I, I really feel that we live in a very special time and day. And that's what I want to focus on for this third anniversary back to Jerusalem podcast, because to be honest, it has never been 
easier to reach people in the areas that have not yet heard the good news of Jesus Christ. People are stinking looking for you. If you're listening to this podcast and you are a believer and you've been praying for the 1040 window and and you've been thinking about going into the 1040 window, let me tell you this. This podcast is not just to point you to back to Jerusalem. I hope this podcast encourages you to go into areas that have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ because people are stinking looking for you. You think you're looking for them? You think you're looking for the lost? You think you're going to bring them the gospel? They're waiting for you. You, There's so many people. I, I mean, I know because I started off doing ministry when I was in the U.S. military. I started off, well, I, I mean, I started off doing ministry, but, you know, when I was in high school. So as soon as I became a believer at the age of 14, I came to Christ and I, because I, I, I went to a church. I didn't come from a Christian home and I started to run a Bible study at our school. No joke. This is what happened. My junior, senior year of school, I started a Bible study at the school. Started a Bible study. I can I can remember I was with Steve Justice and another guy by the name of Danny Smith, and I said let's do a Bible study at at high school, and uh, so we went to get a room at the high school. I went to Blackford High School in a little small farm town in Indiana. And I mean, we only had like a few hundred people in the entire high school. It's a very, I mean, and you, I had to take a bus when I was a freshman. I'd take a bus for over an hour to get there because I lived even further than that in this little outside in the country area, Podunk Town, Montpelier, Indiana, that has like a streetlight at best, right going right through the middle, and and it was about forty minutes away from from the high school. And so I wanted to start a, a Bible study at the high school. And you know what the principal said? No, can't do it. Because we don't this, – this was in the 90s. So this was not that long – or I want to say it's not like – I don't know what, how old you are listening to this. But in the 90s, I was told by my school that I, we could not hold a Bible study at the school because people would be offended. And I kid you not, I used to watch the news. I was so into the news. I didn't really have friends. I didn't party. I worked 40 hours a week at Joe's Grocery, a place that doesn't even exist anymore. Uh, from the time that, from the time I was able to drive, uh, I had jobs before that, but I can remember I was working at Joe's Grocery Store and I would watch the news. And when I watched the news, I learned about these different lawyers that would take your case if you were a believer. And I kid you not. I went to the principal's office. I sat in front of Dan Bakke, the guy that was that was in charge of arranging those things. He was a great guy. Wanted to, um, he he was he was a, a former U.S. Marine, and that's what I wanted to do. And so he talked to me to me about that. Great guy. But I talked with him, and I basically said, if we are not able to get a room here at the school, I'm going to sue the school. I didn't know any better. I I wanted to have a Bible study. And so what they did was they gave us a room at 6.30 in the morning thinking that nobody would come. They gave us a room at the school to have a Bible study at 6.30 in the morning. We wanted to do it in the afternoon when people got out of school, but the school wanted to make it difficult for us. But we played along. Steve Justice worked at a donut shop. 
And so he had to go in at like three o'clock in the morning or something like that. And he would bring fresh donuts to the Bible study. And we had people that showed up for that Bible study. And then I can remember doing the very first ever prayer around the flagpole early in the morning before school started. And I was so excited about that. I was the kid that listened to Petra. I was the kid that listened to Carmen. I was, I, I was, I, you know, I only listened to Christian music. And when I joined the military, I also got involved in ministry and myself and one of our good friends, Thomas Franz, he, he and I began a homeless ministry in San Diego County, North San Diego County. And I can remember that we were trying to get people to listen to the gospel. And the way that we would do that is we would feed the homeless. Well, Tom would feed the homeless. He was at the time he was in the Coast Guard. I was in the Marine Corps. And then we worked together on feeding the homeless and preaching the gospel. So he would fix the meals and I would try to bring what I could and we would preach or I would usually prepare a sermon and I would preach right out on the streets. We would do it in a parking lot, in a plaza, in Vista, California. We also did it and we got ran out of there by the cops. Uh we because you know we were bringing so many homeless people into business places uh at the at these plazas in Vista. So we went and we did it at the park and somebody complained at the park. So uh, we got kind of started to get run out of there by the police and, and we fought against that. But here's the thing. Here's my point of all of that. It was not easy. I mean, we were looking to get more people to join the Bible studies. Have you ever been there? Trying to figure out how to preach the gospel to people in Europe, in America, in a, in a wealthy Christian nation. It's like we're coming up with gimmicks every other freaking day to try to get people to join the church, to get people to listen to the gospel, to get people to abandon sin and chase after the good news of Jesus Christ. It's like we're looking for ways to make it easier and more convenient, and still, it is a task. It feels like you're fighting against a wave. Have you ever swam in the ocean when the waves are high and you're on a and you're on a surfboard and you're wanting to make it out to where the waves are breaking, but it's hard to make it past those first um that that first kind of breaking point because you just keep getting pushed back and pushed back. You're you're swimming against the current. That's what it's like sometimes doing ministry. That has been my experience in the West. Well, here's some good news. Stop wasting your time on the hard fish because there's a lot of amazing fish out there waiting to get caught. You've been looking at new lures, my friend. You've been look you've been going to fishing shops and spending tons of money on the fanciest, sexiest, shiniest lures. You're looking for bobbers and great fishing poles and the best line and the best places to fish by having a fish finder going to places that's been overfished, trying to find fish that just aren't hungry. When if you go out to the deeper waters, you will find fish that will throw themselves in your boat. You will find fish that will bite an empty hook. You will find fish that if you have a broken lure, an ugly lure, a rusty lure, or no lure at all, they will still bite because they're hungry. The West is comfortable. So we fight with fish that aren't hungry. We fight for fish that are skinny, but 
we they don't have meat and they make us spend millions on lures. They're 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 skinny, but they don't want to eat because they feel that they don't need the food that you have. But the good news is it's never been easier to reach people. The ocean has big fish. The ocean is huge. These fish are so hungry that they're willing to bite bare hooks. You come to China. You go to India. You go to Pakistan. You go to Iran. You will find fish that will literally swallow everything that you put on the hook because they're so hungry. They'll swallow you. These fish are like Jonah fish. These are the kind of fish that you can live in the belly for about three days. You want the big fish? Stop trying to convince fish that don't want to be caught. Go out to the deeper waters. Go out to the blue waters. Stay out of the red waters. The red waters are where the, the people are fighting themselves. There's blood in the water because there's combat taking place of different ministries fighting over the same fish. Go out to the blue waters where you don't see any other boats. There you will find fish that want to be caught and it's never been easier to catch them because items like this podcast that I am recording on a ridiculously simple – my phone that I'm recording this on right now is smashed. I have a screen that's been broken for several months. It is a cheap old Samsung phone. And it's, I'm able to record enough content that people from around the world are listening to it and listening about what is taking place with the Chinese underground church and the areas between China and Jerusalem. Where did we get this idea that it's been easy, that it's somehow easy to do ministry? Now, I know that I just said that uh, you know, it's never been easier. It has never been easier, but that doesn't mean that it's easy. And I think sometimes we have this idea that we, if we just go out and we start doing ministry, it's going to be super easy in a way that everything will go smoothly. The president will come to his, the president will come to Christ. The entire nation will come flocking to Christ and, and we will somehow be the postcard child of, uh, the, the poster child, not the postcard child, the poster child, we will somehow be the poster child of ministry. You ever have those ideas that we're, the, we're going to be this poster child of ministry and that things are going to go super smoothly? Well, I have good news for you and bad news. And that's what I want this podcast to kind of push is that ministry has never been easier and it's never been harder. It's never been easier because you can reach more people than has ever been possible in the history of man using the, the items that we have at our fingertips right now. It's never been easier. We can now preach the gospel to individuals using all of the different electronics, whether it's by mobile phone, whether it's by Facebook or social media, whether it is through some application where we're able to enter into chat rooms, whether we are teaching people from foreign languages and the English language and 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 uh, filling in as their English teacher and teaching them English from the gospel, whether it's doing email campaigns in closed countries, whether it's starting up a website that allows you to get into closed countries, it's 
never been easier to preach the gospel, but it's also never been harder. Jesus said it would be hard. He promised it would be hard. So when you go into these other countries and you preach the gospel in these other countries, you will face opposition. Are there hungry fish? Yes, there are. But guess what? There are also predators that are looking for you, hunting you, and they want to devour you. The enemy is searching the world, walking the earth, devouring whom he may consume, and you are a whom he may consume. He is looking to devour those that are trying to reach the hungry fish. So it's not going to be easy. If anybody promises you that it's going to be easy, they're lying to you. Jesus said that it would be difficult. He said that in the last days we would suffer for his name's sake. So don't be a moron and act surprised when things get difficult. Do you even realize how ridiculously ministry, how easy ministry is today and how ridiculously hard it is at the same time? It is... It seems to be a contrast, but it's not. That it's hard to be on the, in, in these closed countries, but God has now allowed us opportunities and tools and resources at our disposal that has never been easier to reach those that are in the hard places. Now, it's going to be hard, and it's going to be difficult, but we have so many stinking amazing tools that make ministry the best it's ever been. This is the age of ministry. This is the golden age. You and I, we're living in the golden age of ministry and it's never been better. We need to reach out and grab this opportunity by the balls because we can do so much. We don't, we don't have one reason why we can't be reaching people in the most unreached areas of the world today. We, we don't have one reason. Well, I guess we have one reason. One reason is we're lazy. We're lazy because of all the cool equipment and all of the cool tools that we've had our, at our disposal. I think it's made us a bit comfortable because somewhere deep inside, I think that we really believe that this may be all there is. Maybe that's all that maybe that's why we're 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 not pushing hard. Maybe it's because there is opposition in the 1040 window and we're looking for an opportunity where things are going to open. Listen, I get emails all the time. I get for the 3 years that I've been doing this podcast, I get emails all the time that tell me that they're not comfortable with with back to Jerusalem and the way that back to Jerusalem breaks the law. I just got a I just answered a a, a message, um a social media message yesterday that said uh, I don't know if I'm comfortable with, you know, doing hacking this person misunderstood, I think, a little bit of the hacking, and I had to explain to them, brother, please know this. Hacking is illegal in the West. Yes, that was his concern. You know, what is what is the repercussions for people like us that support you that's doing hacking? Hacking is illegal even in Western countries. And I assured him, brother, please let me put your mind at rest. Everything we do breaks the law. Some people aren't comfortable with that, and I get it. 
When we are baptizing people in Iran, we're breaking the law. When we're distributing Bibles in North Korea, we're breaking the law. When we're preaching the gospel to children in China, we're breaking the law. When we are preaching the gospel in a place like Yemen and Somalia and Sudan, we're breaking the law. Those that are caught doing what it is that we do and we support, those that are caught can be arrested, beaten, fined, and in some cases put in jail, and worst case scenario, put to death. And when we're doing our computer hacking, we're not looking at stealing information to be able to get somebody's data and drain their bank account dry. No, we are looking to break into closed nations and bring them the good news of Jesus Christ. Slaves that have been enslaved in closed nations for generations now have the opportunity of freedom because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So the only way we can bring freedom to these closed nations is not by military force, but by bringing in the good news, the great name of Jesus Christ. That is how we are able to make a change, make a difference. But I'm not really understanding why we're not taking advantage of the single greatest time in the history of man to be a believer. You know, I know, I get it. The enemy is making people afraid that that there's all these changes that are taking place. The internet is used for so many things. How many people access porn on a regular basis now using their phone? How many people listening to this podcast had just saw an advertisement for, for pornography or nudity that led you into the sin, the temptation? How, how many people had, had been looking at websites that brought darkness to your soul? I know that the enemy is using these new tools to attack, but I got good news. These changes that might make you feel a little bit apprehensive, these changes that might make you feel that the, the, the computer and the phone is, is a tool of the enemy. The good news is these Tools, think about the, the origin of their development, the computer, your mobile phone, the internet, social media. Did these devices come out of North Korea? Did the development for this come out of China? Did we get the idea for mobile phone technology out of Somalia? Did we find about the internet and start enjoying the internet because it was invented in Saudi Arabia? No. These places have been artificially stupefied because they have been under the curse of the enemy. They have been artificially made dumb because they are slaves to sin. They are slaves to darkness. The enemy keeps him in his lair. He has the door chained and locked. He has them in his dungeon and he does not want you to bring the good news to them. Why? Because the good news opens up creativity like you've never seen before. And that's why this technology that has been developed comes from, listen to me very carefully, Christian Judaic nations. Oh yeah, you might have Hindu nations and Buddhist nations and atheist nations and Islamic nations that are able to build on 
these devices that have already been developed, that have already, that have already been invented. They're able to use inventions to add to the benefit of inventions, but that's just mechanics. They're on an assembly line, taking that which already exists and just manipulating it and playing in the sandbox with it. God gave, I believe, divine revelation to Christian nations, Christian, Judaic nations. And in those moments of inspiration, he gave us tools that we should not fear and we should not be apprehensive of. Can the internet be used for darkness? Oh, yeah. Can your mobile phone be used for sin? Absolutely. Can you pick up a hooker in five seconds by using um, Facebook or Tinder or, or you know whatever it is? Yes. And in fact, right now where I'm at in this very city, prostitution is not even illegal. You can look up a prostitution site on your phone and go to somebody's house right now. Is that darkness that can enter into your in, into your life? Absolutely. But here's the good news. God gave divine revelation so that it could reach the lost. The enemy has stolen it, and it's time that we steal it back. Here's some bad news, or maybe this will be news that you won't really want to hear. And by the way, this was supposed to be a 15-minute podcast, so I didn't mean to go on this long, but I'm super excited. We're almost half an hour into this, baby, and I think that I'm just now getting warmed up. We might split this up, but hey, it is our third-year anniversary after all, so that makes me super excited, our third-year anniversary. But when we look at the, 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 the world that is lost, I have bad news for you. The bad news is, it will not be saved by doing 30 minutes of prayer every morning. The world that is lost and the tools that we've been given that make ministry easier than ever will not become more enhanced by us attending church on the weekends. You see, I think that we're in this mentality in 2019 that the church is an extracurricular activity. And missions is an extracurricular activity of an extracurricular activity. And I'm not saying that you need to pray more. I'm not saying that you need to go to church more. I'm not saying that you need to spend more time in your dedicated prayer closet. What I am saying is never leave it. I'm saying never leave God. I'm saying talk to God in your sleep. Talk to God in the shower. Talk to God on your run. Talk to God when you're on the toilet. Never leave. Always be in the state of God. Always be in the state of fellowship. It feels weird at first, but get over it. Dig deeper. Never leave. Be with Jesus. Oh, this is going to be hard for me to even say because I'm not going to be able to put it into words that are going to come out right. So this is going to come out wrong. I'm, I'm just going to say what it is that I'm thinking right now as I'm going through this, what I, uh, this inspiration that I feel that God has given me. And it, but be with God even when you're sinning. I believe that if we don't leave God in prayer when we find ourselves in sin, we'll sin less. We'll drop that sin like a hot potato because we cannot be in the presence of God and sin. 
never leave it. When you leave church, don't leave God. When you stop praying, you know, in your, in, in, in your idea of what prayer is, I'm, I'm, I'm becoming less and less convinced that prayer includes you closing your eyes and bowing your head and folding your hands and getting on your knees and being by your bedside and, and having everything arranged and then, and spending that time with God. Yeah, that's prayer. But maybe prayer is also walking through the grocery store looking for milk and talking to God. Maybe prayer is working on your carburetor out in your garage and talking to God. Maybe prayer is driving down the road and turning off your radio and talking to God. Maybe prayer is leaving a party with your friends and feeling extremely excited that you made a connection and talking with God. There are people that want their side of ministry to be their job. But they won't leave their job because they need their job. And their job, they believe, takes them away from that opportunity where they're with God all day. Here's what I'm saying. You can work a secular job and be with God all day long, be in prayer, experience more of his presence while working than you might ever experience in some churches and traditional church buildings. There, there are, there are people that feel like they're called to full-time ministry. They use this term full-time ministry as if it is a, 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 a job as it is, as it, as if it is a job description. Oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor. Oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm an evangelist. Oh, what do you do? I'm a, I'm a missionary. But I tell you right now, God can, if you have the title of a baker, if you have the title of an automotive uh, worker, if you have the title of a factory worker, a school teacher, a construction worker, a professional athlete, you have full-time ministry. And if God is calling you to walk away from your job, I want to say this. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of poverty. Don't be afraid of, (laughs) there are so many people that feel called to do something different, but they won't leave their job because they need their job to make money and they need their money to buy stuff that they don't need so that they can have stuff that impresses people that they don't even really like. And the fact is that you got people that are working at jobs that they don't like to make money to buy stuff to impress people that they don't like and people that will never like them. The fact is there are so many people that you're trying to impress that don't like you. You know, surely I can't be the first person to tell you that there are people in this world that don't like you. There are people that don't like you. They'll never like you. There's nothing that you can do to impress them. So that job that you're so afraid to leave, that job that you're so scared of walking away from because you think that somehow you won't be able to be able to make the money that you need to buy the stuff that you don't really want so that you can impress people that you don't even like. Oh, God, forgive us. Forgive us for not realizing how short this life is. Forgive us for putting emphasis on things that don't matter. Forgive us for putting our stock and our trust into the secular world. 
There are so many people that are listening to this podcast that say, I would really love to go into full-time ministry, but I just don't have the finances. Did I mention I'm doing this podcast on a broken mobile phone? (laughs) You don't need the finances to get started. You don't need a special title. You know, there are people as a side note, there are, there are people that we, that we surround ourselves with every single day. There are people that we approach to do ministry with every single day that reject us. There are people that we minister to that don't want to be ministered to. And we, as Christians, we suffer that rejection. There are people that we like and we would like to like us, but they just don't. And so we have that rejection. There are ministries that you may want to work together with, but they may be too cool for school and they just don't need you or they pretend that they don't need you and you feel that rejection. If you've ever written to Back to Jerusalem and Back to Jerusalem fails all the time, we are running to keep up. We we continue to grow and we continue to run to keep up and we fail all the time. And I just, I want to throw this out there as a side note because we just had an amazing ambassadors meeting where we had an ambassador that came in from California that had been trying to reach us for a while and he was just not getting into contact with us. He had even sent me an email and I had not responded to him. He had been calling us, but we had not been following up. He wanted to serve in China. So he started looking for other ways to serve in China that did not involve B to J and kudos to him. And I'm so happy that we were able to meet his acquaintance and, and, and be able to fellowship with one another. And he was able to be at our back to Jerusalem meeting. I'm so thankful for that because honestly, we did not mean to pass up on him. There have been people that have, that have been writing to me that want to meet, that want to talk, that want to connect on the phone, that want to, you know, swap emails. And I promise you, I, I'm writing to all of you that I can. But there are, there are new emails that come and sometimes my old emails get missed. And so I forget which ones I've read and which ones I haven't. And so we do stupid stuff at B2J where we, we, we uh, don't connect with people that want to connect. I'm going to a, a, a meeting, um, uh, an Iranian conference where there's a lady that's putting it together. And I was telling her about our hackers conference and she wrote back and she's the one arranging for me to attend this closed door meeting for Iranians. And she said, yeah, I wanted to attend that conference meeting, but, and I wrote several times and nobody responded back to me. I felt horrible, but here's the truth. You're going to be rejected by people that you're ministering to. You're going to be rejected by people that you would like to minister together with. You're going to be rejected by ministries. <laughs> you're going to be rejected by ministries who reach to the un- to the rejected people. Can you imagine a, a ministry that reaches out to those that have been rejected around the world and you write to them and they reject you? <laughs> that sucks. You, you got to feel like you're at the bottom of the barrel when you're rejected by those that have a ministry to the rejected. But God has put tools in our hands to be able to be more effective than has ever been possible in the history of man. And so don't be afraid. 
don't be despaired when you're rejected by a small, insignificant ministry like Back to Jerusalem. Don't feel offended when you don't hear back from an email that you might have sent to me. And I'm a guy that just does recording on broken phones with smashed screens. A nobody. Don't feel rejected when somebody by the name of Robert 33 fat boy on your social media writes a bad comment on your social media when you're talking about doing ministry. You're going to find disagreeable moments, but keep pushing. You will find ways in which God will use you because it's never been easier to do ministry. It's you've never had more tools at your disposal to do what God has called you to do. When I look at, you know, some people, I think that they feel that, well, yeah, I could all, I could obviously do a podcast on my mobile phone. I could obviously sit down with my laptop and write a book. I could obviously develop a sermon, you know, and give it at a, at a, at a homeless ministry. When, when I look at successful ministries, Around the world, I see two things. I see two things when I'm looking at successful ministries. I see ministries that are able to accept brutal facts and at the same time maintain unshakable faith. These are the two things that I see with every successful ministry and that's what you have to have. The brutal fact is you're going to be rejected. The brutal fact is you you might not be able to start a Kickstarter fundraiser that will even be able to raise $1. Your mom won't even give to the campaign. Your mom's not even moved. You might not even ever be able to get anybody to really listen to a podcast that you do on your phone. You might not be able to start a full-time ministry where you're able to have income coming in on such a in, in such amounts that you're going to be able to have an administrative fee to pay a salary while you carry out full-time ministry. Those are just facts. When you look at the facts on the ground, accept them. You know, I think a lot of people sometimes what they believe is that by lying to themselves, that's practicing faith. That you have good faith when you set and you tell yourself something that's not true. That's not faith. That's, that, that's ignorance. That's stupidity. Faith is looking at the facts, accepting them as they are, and then having the faith to live beyond them. You, to, to have faith that knows that you can create new facts. And I'm not talking about uh, fake media. I'm not talking about rewriting history things that didn't exist. I'm talking about looking into the future as if the facts that exist now will not exist in the future. That you have unshakable faith that no matter what hits you, you know what's happening, but you believe the future result will turn out better than what you're presently looking at. I see that with, with every successful ministry. You know, one of the things that I, that I do at Back to Jerusalem is that I surround myself with people that I believe to be highly disciplined individuals. One of the reasons why is because I'm not. So I like to surround myself with disciplined individuals because I'm not always so disciplined. Why? Because we are too small at Back to Jerusalem to have the bureaucratic channels 
of keeping people in line and making sure everybody does what they're supposed to do. When I work with people today at Back to Jerusalem and I bring people onto our team, when I hire new people for Back to Jerusalem, they are individuals that are individually disciplined. People that have their own fire. Because if I need to have a bureaucratic kind of gadget to kind of look at what you're doing, to be able to make you more effective in ministry, to make sure that you're actually working, then I've got the wrong person. I'm connected to the wrong individual. You see, when I work together with you in ministry, I need to trust you even when I can't see you. And I believe God is the same way. He needs to trust me. He can always see me, so I can't say. But when he gives me a task, when he gives me a calling, when he gives me a vision, when he gives me quote-unquote ministry, when he gives me that job to do, I need to bite onto it like a rabid dog refusing to let go, shaking. You can shake, but I'm not going to be shaken off like a bulldog. That's bitten down and you cannot pry its jaws away from the task that God has given it to do to get God has given you a task and you need to do. We need to do. I need to do things as if I'm working on that task every day. I need to be disciplined every day. I need to be in that spirit Every day, I need to be in ministry every day. I need to be in prayer. I need to be in God, whether I'm walking, talking on the phone, shopping at the grocery store, working at my job, driving in my car, sitting at the office, taking a shower, relaxing on the couch, going to bed, even in my dreams. I want to live, eat, sleep, God, breathe, God, and the task that he's given me to do, let no facts dissuade me. To have that faith that God will lead me. But at the same time, also not ignore the facts. Not ignore the facts that the Bible says that I will be rejected. I will be persecuted. I will feel alone at times. I will feel rejected even within the church setting with other Christians. We live in a generation that is surrounded with data. We have more data at our fingertips than we've ever had in the history of man. But I think sometimes we become a little bit numb to the data. We put ourselves in bubbles where we are blind to the data. And the reason why I say that is this. With successful ministries, process the data, accept the data, accept the failures, accept the challenges, accept the reality, and then lock in and do what you need to do anyway. (laughs) The reason I say that is because when we have these tools, and I'm talking about these tools that uh, make ministry better and easier than it's ever been in the history of man, sometimes I think that we have this idea 
Now, we're just going to wake up one day and we'll be in this instantly successful ministry. And the, and the picture of success that we have painted comes from our Western ideas. Our, we've been inundated with TVs, with TVs. Yeah, I'm from the 1950s. Hello. Um, we've been inundated with videos and, and, and images of individuals that are quote unquote successful in ministry and they're preaching to thousands and tens of thousands. They have books. They have video series. They have followings. They, they host seminars and people pay money to come and hear them speak. But I promise you something. Those individuals that you might be listening to that are speaking into your life. They didn't just wake up one day and find that, oh, wow, I, I had instant success. I just woke up one day and put my slippers on and I fell into a ministry that is, you know, quote unquote successful. No. Show me somebody that's successful, what you would consider to be successful in ministry. And I'll show you somebody that went to the grind every day that worked on their craft for thousands of hours just to save one person. And if that one person is saved, it was well worth it. You show me that one person that you find to be admirable, that has spoken quality messages into your life, and I'll show you somebody who doesn't leave God. I'll show you somebody that eats, breathes, sleeps, does everything with God. Do they have failures? Absolutely. Are they superhuman? Absolutely not. But they've been working on their craft all the time. You might hear this podcast. You think that you, you think that I just woke up and started throwing up a mic and, and, and started recording? I prepare these podcasts all the time. I'm on the field all the time. I, we have sponsors and supporters all around the world that are other ministries, and we represent those other ministries. So I'm always writing reports. I'm always writing articles. Right now I'm working on several reports for several ministries that if I named them, you would know them right now. They are not able to work in China, so we do their work for them inside of China, or we work together. They work through us. They work through Back to Jerusalem without talking about their connection with Back to Jerusalem. And I have to send them regular reports, you know, three, four times a year, sometimes more often than that. We have to fill out all some, some ministries that support us. They have their own uh, worksheets and I have to fill those out. I, I'm constantly working on our newsletter, our website, our social media, our other media like this here podcast, and then also starting businesses. I'm usually I just I was on the pre, I was on the phone yesterday morning with a president of a nation that will that shall remain unnamed, and I'm working together with that president in order to uh, start a business in another country where that president is allowing his embassy to assist us in that nation. We're starting an, uh, several companies this year inside of Vietnam as well as ministries. We're also dealing with the persecution inside of China. I, uh, I can tell you, my wife will tell you that every single waking moment that I'm alive, a part of my entertainment, it has to do with persecution or China or business or something that does that connects with ministry. We're starting businesses almost every other month. What I'm saying is that you have to work on your craft. 
Are you good at business? Work on it every single day for the glory of God. Are you good at working on computers? Are you good at hacking? Are you good at writing code? Are you good at painting? Are you good at singing? Are you good at writing? Are you good at speaking? Public speaking? Are you good at motivating? You have to work on your craft every single day. You have to find your cave. Move into your cave. And give glory to God and never leave the presence of God. And in that cave while working on, I think sometimes we feel, especially among maybe charismatics, sometimes, and I feel okay to say so because I would consider myself among the charismatics, but I I think sometimes among charismatics, we get this idea that one day we just wake up and we're blessed by God and we have, you know, the anointing. And in that anointing, we can just perform. And so there's no need to really prepare that when the moment comes, we will be ready. No, you prepare all the time. You work on your craft all the time. You're preaching in front of people. It's a gift. It's also a craft. It's a gift that you need to work on and you need to get better. God has given you a gift, but you need to hone in on it. You need to make it better. You need to have practice. You need to be in your cave. You need to buckle down and study it and and, and learn more about it and develop it even more. You've been given the tools of a very effective weapon to attack the enemy, but you need to work on it. Just because someone gave me an M16 when I joined the Marine Corps didn't mean that I knew how to shoot it. I had to work on my craft and I had to work on it all the time. I had to go to the range every year to make sure that I was still up to snuff and be tested. And when I wasn't, I had to work on it. I had to do all these little exercises in order to become better at making myself more efficient on the rifle range. Work on your craft. Go to your cave. Every single day, you show me somebody that is successful in ministry, I'll show you somebody that is at the grind every single day. You know, sometimes I think as new believers, when we feel that God is going to use us and we're going to go into ministry, that this ministry will have these big neon lights written above a door and we'll have these big crowds in front of us, right? That's, that's kind of like ministry porn for, for new ministers. But what a hungry pastor does, what a hungry minister does, what a, what an evangelist does that has dreams. makes them want to go to the grind every single day until that vision that God has given to them comes to pass. And you can point to ministries that fly jets and have million-dollar suits and have huge crowds and, and are able to market their books all around the world in many different languages. But I'm telling you, if you ever... Look at them and think, well, you know, they're gifted. If you ever looked at them and said, well, they're privileged. If you ever looked at them and said, oh, well, they're abusing finances. They're a part of the 1%. You're a part of the 1%. If you're listening to this podcast, you're part of, you're probably part of the 1%. Kind of. Most of the world lives off of a dollar a day. Most of the world that, especially in the 1040 window where you have uh, two-thirds of the world's population, two-thirds of the world's population live 
in the 1040 window and the 1040 window has horrible economies and most of the people do not have clean running water and safe neighborhoods and uh, at-hand electronics. The things that we have – if you bought a Starbucks coffee, you're privileged. So shut up. If you feel that you know somehow these ministries that spend a lot of money on on personal jets and planes and suits and it, it's all relative. Don't don't attack ministries because you feel that they spend their money the the wrong way, and don't get me wrong. For I mean, when you look at back to Jerusalem, you're you're going to find a different type of ministry, but that doesn't mean that we're the that that every ministry is called to be like back to Jerusalem. We're unique, and we work in that uniqueness, and other ministries work in their uniqueness. So don't judge and attack. Listen. I'm doing this podcast right now, like I said, with a screen that's been busted. I, I'm I'm wearing. If you've been watching the Back to Jerusalem Chasing Revival series, and if you haven't, they're 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 really good. I mean, I'm biased, but I do feel that they're really good. But if you do watch them, if you if you get a chance to watch the Back to Jerusalem Chasing Revival series, here's 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 something to keep a, a lookout for. Look at the ring that I'm wearing when I'm in China. <clears throat> Look at my wedding ring. When, when we do the China series, when we're in China and I'm working with Zhang Rong Liang and I'm doing an interview with him, look at that ring. Does it look, does it look weird to you? It should because it's not your typical golden wedding ring. Now today I'm wearing a different wedding ring because within the last five to ten years they've come out with these companies that now make these uh, rubber wedding bands that you can wear. And so now I'm wearing a rubber wedding band. But for several years my wedding band was a free rubber band that I got with a power saw that I bought. And the power saw I was using to be able to do construction in a, in a kitchen. And in that box, when I opened it up, there was a black uh, rubber band and I didn't have a wedding ring. So I wore that black rubber band. It was free. I wore a free black rubber band as my wedding band for several years. My watch, my wife hates. Or I shouldn't say she hates it. She doesn't like it. She wishes I would get a quote unquote real man's watch. She feels like I have a little boy's watch. It's a, it's a, it's a watch that I wear. It's a running watch. It's not, it's not a cheap watch, but it's not an expensive watch because every dollar that we make for ministry goes straight into ministry. We, we put it right back into ministry. Can't help but not to. I, I, I trust me when I say that the salary that I, that I get from the ministry takes care of all of my needs and I'm super excited about it. But the books that I write, 100% of the royalties goes back into the ministry. Why? Because I don't need it. I don't need it. I don't want it. I want to reinvest back into the ministry. I don't need to give off an image. I don't need to drive a certain car. I don't need to dress a certain way. And in fact, the only I, I had to speak at a at a meeting uh, last year in Holland, where in Holland they told me that in order to speak at the meeting, I had to have a black suit. And I told them, I'm sorry to disappoint you guys. I don't own a black suit. If I go to that meeting and I can't wear my khaki pants with cargo pockets. And I can't wear my Columbia shirt. I'm probably in the wrong meeting. Or the meeting has the wrong guy. I don't have a black suit. I ended up having a black suit for that. Because as I flew I, I flew to um, that meeting for my grandfather's funeral. So I, had, I got a black jacket and a black pair of jeans for my grandfather's funeral. Point is... 
when we look at ministries that we consider to be successful, don't always look at the flash. Don't always look at the glitter. Don't always look at the evangelical porn of 10,000 people being ministered to in one room. Sometimes success is being able to reach one. Sometimes success is being able to just stick in the grind going over your craft over and over and over in order to reach those that have yet to be reached. We want a ministry like the Apostle Paul. We have to sacrifice like the ministry of Apostle Paul. If you want the stuff, you have to eat the sacrifice. You can point to those that have these huge ministries, but the ministry that God has called you to cannot be compared to what you see other people performing in. Don't judge other people for how they use their funding in the ministry. Don't worry about them. Worry about what God has called you to do. Listen, for several years, I worked in the homeless ministry in Southern California. My tea is already cold. Um, this podcast has gone much longer than, than I thought, but I, <clears throat> I just want to share this one last story. I used to work in Southern California. We did a homeless ministry, and when we did the homeless ministry, I can tell you it was disappointing when I would work on a sermon for hours at a time, and I would go out into the park to feed the homeless, and one person would show up. We had more people there to serve the homeless than there were homeless. Thomas Franz, one of my good friends, we worked together in Southern California for many years feeding the homeless. Tom and I would show up and there would be one person. But that one person got the best message that I could ever deliver. That one person, I worked, I, I worked you know, day and night to get a message that I could deliver and try to deliver with effectiveness. And, and I would prepare my heart in prayer and I would study the Bible fervently and I would listen to different speakers and I would get into my cave and I would work on my craft and I would show up with a visions in my head of thousands of homeless people that would come to Christ because we would feed them and deliver a message and they would raise up their hands and give their hearts to Christ and I would pray over them and tears would flow down their eyes and they would go to their knees and they would give their heart to Christ and they would be transformed and it would all point back to that one moment. Those are kind of the visions, but those visions then met reality when I showed up on the ground and there was only one person there and it sucked but that was success because I was doing what I believed God had called me to do I was walking in the ministry that I felt that God had called me to do had I written a book at that time no was that message that I delivered on TV no I don't even have the notes I don't even know. I spent so many hours on that message and, and I have no recollection of those messages. It wasn't until I, I, I was older that I realized that I need to start keeping record of these messages and, and keeping a file of these messages. 
I can remember going out and, and, and preaching to the homeless in the parking lot of plazas and individuals that ran out of money and could no longer buy marijuana, could no longer buy drugs, could no longer buy cocaine, could no longer buy PSP, would be smoking toothpaste. I'm not joking. I am not joking. During that time, they would smoke toothpaste. I don't know how to do it. I don't know what the effects of it are. I don't know if it's even a thing, but that's what they were doing. They were smoking toothpaste. There was one lady smoking toothpaste. I remember she didn't have shoes. I remember one time that we were there to minister, we gave her new shoes and she just lost them again, came back to the meeting at another time wearing no shoes. She couldn't keep shoes on her feet. She she had um, uh, challenges because of all the drugs that she had taken mainly. Um, so she she was not always all there. So she'd walk around half-dressed, no shoes, smoking toothpaste. She didn't want to listen to what I what I had to preach. When I when I delivered the, a sermon one time, there were two people, her and a boyfriend that she had. And she left. <laughs> I was rejected by a homeless woman with no shoes, barely kept her clothes on and smoked toothpaste. Kept working on the grind. Kept working on the craft. Did not want to leave the presence of Christ. Because I believe that opportunities come when we least expect it. We don't just wake up one day and the opportunity's there. We don't just wake up one day and and all of a sudden we've fallen into this, you know, big working apparatus with accounting departments and uh, media departments and broadcasts all over the world and uh, you know invites to the Oprah Winfrey show so that you can be interviewed because of how effective you've been in the ministry that God has called you. It's about going to the grind every single day and it's never been easier to do what God has called you to do. It's never been easier and it's never been harder. And we need to take every single opportunity. When I was in the military, I had to stand guard. I had to do what was called fire watch. When I was in boot camp, you know, I would do like an hour every night or every other night or whenever they had the schedule. And it was hard. I woke up at two o'clock in the morning. I would have, or maybe uh, five till two so that I could get dressed. Then I would get on fire watch and I would have to stand watch and walk around. And make sure everything was in order. And then I would pass it on to the next guard. Nothing was out of order for the entire three months of my Marine Corps boot camp. But I had to stand watch anyway. Later on when I went to infantry, I had to do fire watch at night. Tired, moving all day, hiking with a rucksack up into the mountains, running, eating little amounts of food. Still, middle of the night, five till two, somebody would wake me up. It'd be cold outside of my sleeping bag. I'd have to wake up in the trenches. Sometimes it was wet. I didn't want to get out in the wet. I didn't want to put on my cold, wet boots, but I had to do it to stand watch 
when nobody else was awake. I had to stand there and keep myself awake, pinching myself, biting myself, singing songs without being audible in my head, trying to think of things to keep me entertained and keeping watch. Nothing happened during the entire time that I was in infantry. I became a scout sniper. I went out into the, in, into the field, traveling with one other person. Then it got really difficult because somebody always had to stay awake. One, one on, one off, all the time. I went to um, Bahrain. We had to uh, secure a, um, a base in Bahrain. We had to secure a base in Kuwait. We had to do four hours on watch, four hours off watch, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That got exhausting. The four To go on to watch, you had to be up an hour before watch, which means that you only got about two hours of sleep at a time. That sucked. And what we were doing was watching for an opportunity that the enemy might try to take when we are at our weakest when I was in the military, I never experienced an opportunity or I never experienced the enemy attacking. I could have slept. But then that's when the enemy attacks. Here's what I'm trying to say. In ministry, you prepare, you work, you, you go to the grind, you go to your cave, you work on your craft, waiting for that one opportunity that God gives you. And it might only be for a split second. You will be alert. I had to be awake on Firewatch because I might not be attacked tonight. Our unit may not be attacked tomorrow night. But if the enemy ever tries to attack during the weakest moment, may it not be on my watch. <clears throat> may I be alert and take every advantage to keep my eyes open for that opportunity when the enemy is trying to come to make sure that he doesn't take the hill on that night when I'm supposed to be on fire watch. The same thing. Opportunities only come once or twice or a couple times or a few times in our entire life. And we need to make the most of those opportunities and we need to be ready. We need to be ready in season and ready out of season. That's what I love about following the, the, the history of revival in our Chasing Revival series. Walking in the footsteps of Paul. I found that Paul made, he made the most of opportunities. The things that are recorded in the book of Acts were never meant to be recorded. I'm sure of it. How do I know that? Because it's recorded that the Apostle Paul wanted to go to Asia. So he was ready to prepare a campaign to Asia, but it, wa it wasn't to be. It didn't come true. He prepared to go on a campaign to Bithynia to the north, but that didn't come to pass. Instead, he had a vision that led him to Macedonia. And what was in that vision that led him to Macedonia? A man. And when he gets to Macedonia, it wasn't a man that comes to Christ. It's actually a woman. It's a woman and her family. Paul made the most of that opportunity. And when he's waiting to connect with his friends, when he's walking the streets of Athens, he's not there for ministry. He's passing through. And it's there on Mars Hill that he delivers his most memorable speech, one of the longest sermons in the Bible. And he was taking advantage of, of an opportunity. 
He was on watch. He had been walking in God, been walking with Christ. He had not left that environment of prayer. He had not left that environment of study. That's why I said back several minutes ago that we're not going to see the world change through 30 minutes of prayer every day. We're not going to see the world change by you attending church on the weekends. We have to be involved every single day. We, we, we have to never leave prayer. We have to talk with God in our sleep, in the shower, on the run. Never leave the state of being with God. Use your phone. Use your computer. Use everything that you have at your disposal to complete the good news of Jesus Christ because it has never been easier for you to start right now. For you to write that book that God has been burning into your heart. For you to deliver that sermon that you've been working on for weeks, months, years. For you to start recording your own podcasts. For you to start providing service for missionaries that live abroad. For you to possibly even, God forbid, join us on the field and get a vision for what it might be like to leave everything, leave your job, leave your home, leave the fish that don't want to be caught and move out to deeper waters where fish are so hungry they will throw themselves in the boat. These tools that God has put into your hand is not necessarily for you to use to steal fish from other fishermen, but to go out where no boat has gone before and catch fish that are dying to be caught. I want to thank you for joining us for another special Back to Jerusalem podcast where we are celebrating our third year anniversary. Thank you so much and God bless. God bless you for downloading this podcast and God bless you for supporting the Back to Jerusalem vision.